Hi, all right. Welcome to the Sweet Science of Fighting podcast. Today, we have Jared Dell. Welcome, Jared. Thanks for having me, bro. No, thanks for coming on. It's unfortunate we didn't get to meet up when you when you popped by Austin just the, uh, I guess, the other month it was now. Yeah. But, uh, I'm a little sick on this podcast, so if there's a coughing fit or whatever, excuse, uh, <laughs> excuse what comes through. But do you want to maybe provide a brief background about yourself, Jared, and then we'll go straight into some of the questions I've got. Yeah, sweet, man. Um, so, yeah, my name's Jared Dell. Um, I've been training um, since about 2012. Um, jiu-jitsu mainly, well, yeah, jiu-jitsu since 2012. Um, I'm a high school teacher based here in um, New Zealand. Um, I run the Articulate BJJ um, podcast blog. Um, and, yeah, I'm just an active competitor um, and coach, train, and, yeah, that's pretty much me. How'd you get involved with um, New Wave and coming over to train there? Um, so, yeah, it was certainly a case of like who you know, not what you know. <laughs> not definitely not those guys label. Um, but um, the uh, the owner of um, Future Jiu-Jitsu here in New Zealand and Future Kimonos is a good friend of mine. Um, so oh. James McCone. Um, and so he's now based in Austin. Um, he opened Future Jiu-Jitsu here in New Zealand Um about three years ago, um, yeah. he he brought me on as a coach, and we'd been working together through um, my my blog, and I'd done some work for um, like kind of ad space and copy for um, future kimonos, um, and then essentially kind of lined up with one of my term breaks, and um, I said, okay, well you know, COVID's over now, you know we're past this um, time to travel again. Um, messaged him and said, hey, you know, would it be okay if I, I came over for about 10 days or um, to come and train? Um, and he had a bit of a chat with um, with the team there. They were pretty happy with me coming over. Um, and yeah, then that that was pretty much it. Interesting. So, what, so you do, do you do ad copy and stuff like that? That's like kind of on the side of your teaching and things? You kind of yeah. So on that space? Yeah, I not so much anymore. But um, initially, when I came, I came right out of university in um, God, when did I finish university? Around 2012, I did a lot of like freelance journalism, sports writing, copywriting and things oh, wow. like that, um, just to try and make make ends meet. Um, and I think that all of that stuff really kind of inspired me to well, it, it all led to me starting the blog once I'd started training jujitsu um, yeah. regularly. Yeah. Nice. So I guess the question I have around, around the new wave stuff, how does the level of jujitsu differ that you've found between countries? So, I mean, that obvious one is yes, new wave in USA versus New Zealand would probably be an obvious one, but if you have any other experiences too, how does, how do you see that differ? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll try and paint this context as best as I can. Um, without, I mean, you know, I've only been there for 10 days, so it's not like I'm about to lift the lid on any kind of mysteries <laughs> or anything, but I mean, these dudes are the best in the world, man. Like, um, you know, you walk, it, it was, it was so crazy being able to walk into that training room every day. And, you know, you, you're just, you're able to download with some of the best guys in the sport, you know, um, and, and multi-sport champions as well, you know, so, I think the 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 biggest difference I'd have to say right off the bat is the level of professionalism that the guys bring into their training. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people um, in New Zealand, well, I, I would guess any hobbyist gym really, not necessarily just New Zealand, but um, I think a lot of people come in there like training to get their gym taps and like kind of win in the training room. Mm. Um, whereas the thing that I noticed um, with the attitude that all of the guys bring to their training in new wave is just that they are a hundred percent there to learn. They're a hundred percent there to work towards failure. Um, and that was, I mean, I'm still decompressing so much of what I tried to learn there, but, um, <laughs> that was the biggest caliber of difference for me is that these guys weren't going and like, I'm only going to drill until like, I'm feeling a little bit tired when I might be fucking up the technique or something, you know, they're going like, I'm going to drill this until I fail. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try this move until I fail. They're trying to reach that failure parameter so that they can get the most learning out. Um, 
and there was just like they you know for for everything everybody wants to say about the personalities of professional jiu-jitsu they i'm i'm still 100 percent convinced that if i grabbed any one of those guys in the training room during a training session and i was like hey what's your name they wouldn't be able to tell me because they've just kind of like completely blanked their ego and they're just fully engaged in the learning so that's something that i've really tried to like bring back and inform in my own training and coaching but um you know beyond that like um the new zealand scene is still very very small you know we don't have like a massive critical mass of people uh, uh, the sport is burgeoning here it's certainly growing and it's kind of on that cusp of becoming pop uh, like popular sport um but yeah you know we have a relatively small population of four million people here in the whole of new zealand i, I think that's isn't that the population of austin itself <laughs> I think austin's i think austin's one, one oh okay i need to double check that <laughs> oh, okay. so i mean that's one of the things i found interesting is austin um you, like i think big city in america you've actually got the same population as here in auckland new zealand mm. so it, it's a relative size similarity and it was kind of the same same dif distance driving around everywhere um Auckland here, um, so we're kind of in the capitals, well, not capital, but the main city of New Zealand. We've kind of got that critical mass of people. It's certainly where the most people in the country train. Um, but, you know, as you kind of go around the country, you you see a lot of like kind of that old school way of training still. Mm. Um, you know, you see the cult of personality stuff coming out a lot in a lot of schools, that kind of old tribalistic way of like... Um, no creanche don't train in other places you know oh, yeah. um so you know it's um because i've kind of had the blog um and, and been on social media for quite a while um quite early into the um, in jujitsu here comparatively to everybody else anyway but um it's been a real kind of pet project of mine to try and break that down um because yeah, it's in a small place like here, if people aren't working together, we're not really going to be able to make that breakthrough onto the world stage mm. um, at any place, you know, um, Australia figured that out like a while yeah. ago, hence why we've got amazing guys like Lachlan and Craig, um, you know, Declan, Moody, um, and all of these guys starting to come up is because they've gone, hey, well, we actually just need to work together and, and train together and um yeah I, th I feel like if new zealand can do that i mean w w we punch way above our weight in a lot of other elite sports but yeah. um it'll take that kind of move um to be able to make the difference yeah yeah nice and you obviously mentioned about the way that i guess the professionalism that they brought at least the new wave crew when you were training with them i guess how, how were the sessions structured as you mentioned there around drilling those techniques and I guess, what are you taking to your own classes from there in terms of teaching techniques? Yeah. So, um, I mean, in terms of class structure and things, it, it, it's not very, wasn't very different to, um, what you'd imagine, um, in, in most schools I'd imagine anyway, but like, you know, we, you start with technique, you start with, with drilling, um, positional rounds was a big emphasis as well. Um, and then moving moving into match ma matches or sparring after that, um, which was actually because well I suppose they're not in a camp for anything right now, but um, that that was less of an emphasis I suppose it was more like yeah. the skill acquisition side and that was really really enjoyable and I mean when you're doing an hour plus of technique um, I mean you're going to be tired from that alone you know um, and I think. Yes, rolling is the fun part for sure. Like I think we all love to roll, but I think we we we're often quite negligent of that skill um, acquisition part. And um, it, it's certainly not like okay, go drill this a hundred times or go do fifty reps, and and then the other person does fifty reps. I think that that you know those kind of putting arbitrary numbers on something is not the point. But certainly being um, from a coaching perspective, the thing that it's made me think about is to go, um, okay, well, we're going to drill and we're going to acquire skill until everybody's getting this right, you know, or until I'm seeing common mistakes happening and then potentially correct that. Or, um, so, you know, from a, from a educational teaching perspective, it really kind of inf like, there were just small nuances about the way that it's approached that I was like, wow, this is, 
you, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of intangibles that are going on that you, you have to take back into your own teaching or your own instructional space. Um, mm. and yeah, that, that was really informing for me and, um, just really encouraging as well that I was like, okay, well, I wasn't super far off in the first place. Like, you know, um, I, I'm certainly not a, okay, well, we're going to go and line drill and everything forever. Um, yeah. I certainly think there's a place for that, but, um, yeah, the, the, the best guys in the world are definitely not shrimping up and down the mats for, for half an hour. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there in terms of making, I guess, skipping those generic warm ups and, and using the technique as the warm up too. But, I guess along the same lines, your top tips then for retaining new techniques. Cause I think, as you mentioned, we can drill a new technique in class over and over, but obviously you're presented with the same situation. So as soon as someone starts putting some pressure on or prevent, uh, provides like a new situation, then that technique doesn't work anymore. And you kind of abandon it and almost kind of forget about the technique altogether and never use it again. So yeah. I guess what, what tips do you have for someone to help retain new techniques? And I guess, practice them so they actually become usable when they're rolling. Yeah, man. I, I think that that's, I mean, that's at the crux of, that's at the crux of what we're like, we're doing, right? Like, um, when it comes to learning and, and improving. And I think, well, the biggest thing for me is like, if I've learned it, I'm going to go and do it. And I'm going to do it in that same session that I learned it. Mm -hmm. By do it, I mean, try it and, yeah. and hopefully fail, you know, like, the the time where you've just learned that technique is the best time to try and hit somebody with it. Um, not, I'll do that as a coach just to like actually go, Hey, th this is the point I'm trying to make. But also from my own training, if I go and see something like, um, John or my, or my coaches here are showing me something, I I'm going to go, fuck, I want to go and hit that right now. I want to go and try that and see what parameters it does work at and what it doesn't work at. Because, I think if you don't immediately try and imprint that onto your, um, on, onto your body and into your mind that you, you're not really putting an onus on yourself to go out and try that again. You know, um, I, you know, for, for most people, the, the average practitioner and the average hobbyist, by the time the next week rolls around, they're learning a new technique. Mm. Um, I mean, for some, the next class rolls around and they're learning a new technique, which I mean, are you even, you even going to remember what you just did? So I think it's, it's an imperative that you go and try and get that thing to work right away. Um, you know, that depends on how seriously a person is taking their training. Like it depends on what they're trying to inform in their own training, but certainly like, I, I think that's a really important step. There's, there's no point just being like, oh, okay, here's a move I'm doing drill it and then completely forget about it because. <laughs> I mean, then it's never going to work in live training. If you're not willing to try it in that session, when are you going to try it, you know? Yeah, you see that a lot where at the end of class, then it's free rolling and everyone's just back to rolling or whatever, but not trying to use that technique. Yeah, but then still they just trying to win with the same shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or they don't use the technique because now everyone's privy to it because they they just did it in class so everyone can defend it. Yeah. But it's pretty yeah, that's, still worth doing it. Yeah. That's the, the most fun part is like this person knows what's coming and then you hit them anyway. That's like the biggest <laughs> flex that you can do, you know? That's true. That's true. You, you don't yeah. want to be the one on the receiving end getting getting done by a technique you just learned. Yeah. And and that's where that's where you innovate on your defense. That's where you have to go like, oh, damn, I'm actually stuck in the move of the night. I don't want to get hit by this thing. Okay, well, how do I defend it? So, I mean... It, it all depends on how much a person wants to trust in the process and actually like engage deeply with the material, you know, like it's the same as if I take this to students in a class and I go, I want you to, I, I want you to write about, um, you know, a book you've just read and a kid might just give me like the standard blurb, you know, this was about this character and this, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But it's the kid that always takes it further, um, that is going to do better and, and is, is flexing their brain a bit more. We're still using our brain in jujitsu. Yes, we're using our body a big, big amount. But if you've just, if you've just learned content, if you want to retain it, you got to go and revise. And the rolling is revision for us, you know, like, so I, I feel like people tend to lean back on their strengths because they look at rolling in the wrong way. Um, 
not always, but I, I think a large amount of hobbyists, they're still going like, man, okay, cool. I've just slapped and bumped. How am I going to win? Like they're not going, okay, well, how am I going to get to that move? We just learned tonight. How am I going to try that thing out? Or how am I going to do something new? Like, how am I going to change my rolling and work on my weaknesses? So, yeah. Yeah. Those are good points to have. So you're not always trying to just dominate and win, I guess, at your strengths when you're going into roll and just actually trying or just doing what you should at. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to win in a role. Like, I mean, the, the, the point of our sport is to try and like, um, is to try and control and submit somebody, but like, give yourself parameters with that. I, like when I roll with a student, I'm not just going to go like, okay, well, I'm just going to rack up subs. Yeah, cool. Like I've been training for 10 years and this guy's been training for six weeks. What am what what are either of us getting out of me just going and heel hooking him twenty five times in a round? You know, like <laughs> nothing. So if I go, okay, well, I just showed him an armbar from Mal. That's all I'm gonna do. Um, and cool, I might hit him with that twenty times. He's certainly gonna remember that technique. But then we've both taken something away. Then there's actually an interchange. And so I think that it, I mean we can't just not win. Like we can't just not sub a guy. We can't just give up bad positions because that's an injustice in itself. I think there's nothing worse than rolling with a guy who just isn't trying like that. I, I kind of just want to walk away from that role. And I have, you know, um, but I think it's, it's important to try. It's important to try something new. Um, and it's important to give yourself small and measurable goals because I think th that's how you improve, you know? Nice. And you've competed at a at a pretty high level too, ADCC trials. Uh, is it, what else have you got under your belt there? Yeah, so I competed at ADCC trials last year. Um, I then um, I fought Isaac Michelle in the um, semis, um, and then so obviously I didn't I didn't qualify. You have to win. He won, um, but I then went on to Vegas after that to compete in the um, in the ADCC Open that ran before the ADCC Championships. Um, I got to the semis in that as well. Um, I got to the repercharge charge for bronze as well. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been trying to push, I mean, each time I've been uh, one place better. Um, so I'm hoping the next time we're on the podium. Um, nice. I mean, ideally, I'd love to be at the top of the podium for the next Oceania trials. Um, I do believe they're having two more trials. Well, they're having two trials rather than just the one Oceania trials this time around. So potentially there's two shots there. And I mean, if I'm, it, yeah, if I can just put myself in contention at under 99, um, I'll be pretty happy, man. But yeah, um, what else? I mean, uh, pretty much won everything here in New Zealand a, a few times over. Um, you know, the, the competition scene's growing quite a bit here. There's a lot more competitions going on, um, lots of mm -hmm. different rule sets. Um, I've competed in Australia a bunch, um, you know, under grappling industries rules, um, you know, especially if you're, if, if you're traveling from New Zealand to, to Australia, you kind of want to get bang for your buck. And, um, there's a lot of people who kind of want to just bucket list, uh, IBJJF comp and get, and, and get wasted in their first match and pay <laughs> X, X amount of hundreds of dollars. But, you know, um, if I can line up a grappling industries competition and I can go, okay, well I can get like upwards of 11 matches. That's great. So, um, I've done, I think a handful of those, um, you know, gi, no gi, absolute things like that. Um, I competed in the States as well earlier, um, in about 2019, like pre COVID feels like forever ago, <laughs> but, um, competed in California, um, at the uh, what is it fuji bjj um open um in semi valley um up north um which was quite fun um placed gold in the in the no gi division in that and bronze in the gi division um but yeah you know i just try to i just try to get out there and, and do it as much as possible um you know the 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 caliber of competition here in new zealand isn't isn't super low i mean there's still super challenging guys in 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 competitions um when you when you get a good solid bracket or um some of the guys come out so yeah you know just um try to put what i've learned into place in competition and try new things and yeah it's um nice 
yeah, you know, I, I never really started the sport um, with competition in mind, to be honest with you, man. I, um, when when I decided in 2014 that I was going to, like, train every day, I was just like, okay, cool, well, I just need to, like, kind of regain my health. That was, that was more the thing. And then, um, I mean, competitions kind of came up, and I just realized and kind of embraced that that was part of the learning process. And, like... I'm a kind of com I'm I'm a pretty competitive person so I've been able to embrace that side of it. I think a lot of people when they feel that kind of intensity they either lean into it or push away from it. Um and I'm certainly one who's kind of leaned into it a bit so yeah. Before getting back to the podcast, I want to let you know there's a link down in the description for the Sweet Arts of Fighting underground community. You can get all the help you need for your combat sports training. You get every single Sweet Arts of Fighting training program, online course, and you get access to a range of coaches within the private Discord community. So go check that out and back to the podcast. Nah, that's good. Uh, to, I guess from from all these competitions and people you've you've fought against as well, what are, what are the differentiators at this at the highest level of jujitsu in terms of guys who are there at the top versus guys who are maybe you know just shy of, of getting there? You know what what kind of separates those those two kind of jujitsu athletes? Man, that's a good question. Um, I think it's like the, if I had to put my finger on one thing, it would be like the timing, you know, um, the lack of hesitation and the, the, like the knowledge of the pathway that you're going to go down. Um, I was really fortunate to, um, to have a match with, um, Mike Pixley from, uh, from Pedago submission fighters, um, when when i fought at um adcc in vegas in the open and the thing that i was just like i couldn't even be mad that the dude submitted me bro like i, I was just so stoked to like feel the pathway that he he took down took me down with so little hesitation along the way and like no errors and i think it's just as soon as I felt that, I was like, holy smokes, I learned so much from just that. And yeah, so for me, that that kind of epitomized, I was like, holy, like that level is is not necessarily about knowing more or about um, being able to throw shit at a guy that he's never seen before. Because like, you get to blue belt and if you're, you're a competitor, you kind of seen every move. But it's it's more like your mindset. It's it's how ready you're coming in. It's it's all of those little intangible things: your confidence and your timing, and your willingness to pull the trigger. I think that those things. I was like, man, okay, well, that's that's what differentiates world class from just everybody else. And yeah, that was a big eye opener and and really cool to feel. Um, and yeah, I think. I learned more in those two minutes with them than I learned in like two years before, like of competing. So, yeah. And, and I, I'm assuming, I guess that willingness to pull the trigger is also down to having the confidence that you can get yourself out of bad positions or, or things like that too. So you need to almost, it's like you have to have the skill set already to have that confidence to be able to do, do those things anyway. Yeah, bro. I, I, yeah, I really have to second what you're saying there. Like, I think, um, if your if your defense isn't sound, like, it, and I was just saying this to one of one of my new students last night. He's like three rolls, three rolls in, um, and I was like, if your defense isn't sound, you're not gonna have that confidence to pull the trigger. You know, like that is, in my opinion, anyway, your defense, your ability to escape things and and to take advantage or to turn around bad positions is what gives you the the consummate confidence to be able to go in and go as badly as this goes, I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and I still see guys at like brown belt and black belt level that are terrified to not be in an advantageous position, mm. advantageous, like, mm. Oh, if I'm on the bottom, I'm losing. How can, how can you think that way when like the sport that we're literally doing was developed so that you, you, you've got, tools off of your back you know um that's that's a thing that blows my mind and of course you know with with the prevalence now of adcc and mma and that rule set 
we're kind of going full cycle to being uh, to being on top as winning again, yeah. which is not wrong. Like in any self-defense situation and any combat scenario, having the higher ground or being on top is always going to be a, a, a more favorable place to be. But what happens when you're not there? You know, like that's the big question. And I think if you, if you don't have the answer to that question, how can you really go into a match? How can you go into a fight? How can you defend yourself? with that question in the back of your mind probably and i see that with the same with guys who aren't conditioned well and and they go they roll in a way where they are scared to get tired and i mean i love that saying of fatigue makes cowards of us all but i think the same thing applies with being on the bottom or not having a good guard or or not being able to work from those disadvantageous positions if you're going holy shit, i'm so scared to be there how can you honestly say to yourself that you, you've really engaged deeply with the sport of jujitsu? Uh, yeah. Like, I don't think that you have. Maybe, maybe then you've been a wrestler. That's great. But then you're a great wrestler. But work your gut. I, uh, you never. Maybe you never even need to use it, and that's cool. But yeah, you need to have that last word because there's a lot of what ifs out there, and there's a lot of people who are going to put you on your back. And then what do you do? Yeah, we've had some great chats on this podcast previously talking about, I guess, constraints-based coaching and basically getting to know all the different situations that you might be put in and training those specific uh, situations that you might be put in so you're actually prepared. And that's just one of them, right? Like, yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, sure, you might like to be on top or be the aggressor and be in the dominant positions, but, like, you can like that. But then when you're tra maybe training, when you're rolling after class, maybe you start on sitting down or on your back or whatever it is just so you can be in those positions from the very beginning and try and work your way out. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think, you know, th that was my biggest, that's been one of my biggest immediate takeaways um, from, from training in Texas was we do situational every night from bad positions now. Um, mm. I, I want to get the guys to a point where we can actually just do juji rounds. So the guy starts in a, in an arm bar. Um, mm. you know, it takes a while and it takes a level of maturity to do that in a, in a non-professional training room, but we were doing that a lot. Um, but we, instead of that, I'm doing backgrounds. Uh, so you're starting with a guy on your back and you're in turtle, terrible place to be like literally the worst place to start a role, um, under mount. So mount rounds and backgrounds are now a non-negotiable. We do that every night with no clock on. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting to see because you put six minutes on a clock, right? Everybody knows how much jujitsu they can do in six minutes or how, yeah. how hard they can go in six minutes. You turn the clock off and you don't tell them how long the round's going to be and you see how they change. And the guy either becomes way more conservative. The guy starts to do things differently. The pace changes, the, the mindset changes. You start to see who's actually got the conditioning, who's suddenly going to go and prop the wall up and starts fucking talking during the rolls and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And I think that that's, that is another kind of parameter I've put in there. And it's like, are you willing, I like that. are you willing to then push yourself to the point where you're so fucked that only your techniques going to work, you know? Mm. Um, and the guys that engage in that are just going to fast, like get way better, way quicker. Nice. We, we have a great class on, on Friday afternoons at, at Val Jiu Jitsu here. And it's a, it's position, basically a positional sparring class. One minute on nice. 10 or 15 seconds off and we just rotate around and we just start back positions, mount, side control, you know, it, just anything that sucks. Yeah. And it's just for the whole hour like that. It's, it's, That's awesome. it's, it's, it's killer. It's killer, but it's good because you end up starting with someone on your back every minute or every two minutes or someone in mount or someone whatever, and you have to work your way out in that minute. So yeah. that's quite nice. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I, I think positional positional rounds are underrated, man. I, I yeah. think you, you can't do enough of them. It, it gives you a level of psychological confidence that you don't just get from normal rolling. Because, like, you know, you get to a certain level with, with jiu-jitsu where – you maybe nobody gets on your back like for a long period of time then you get into a competition match and that's all that this dude wants to do are you really going to have all the answers to the guy who's now just chasing your back you're not 
But if you've been drilling that in the gym, you know, now you're suddenly in a position where you can go, I don't care if this dude's on my back or in mount because I know, I know what to do there. So I think it's, there's a lot to be said for positional and situational rounds. Um, and yeah, I really hope that, I really hope that people can embrace that really sucky part of it, you know, because it, it sucks. It's not fun. Yeah. Like, but people need to learn that, that, that not fun part is actually the fun part. And I think if, if people can do the hard stuff more regularly and embrace that, we can kind of get jujitsu back to a place where a jujitsu fighter is actually someone who's feared and, and tough, you know, even if you, you don't have to be a professional, you can be a hobbyist, but man, be a fucking tough hobbyist to kill. And, you know, now you've got a level of confidence that you can a walk around with, protect your family with, um, but then also be a super, super hard role in the gym. Um, and then suddenly the competitors are like pursuing a role with you um, and, and they want to roll with you. And then you're getting better because you're getting the rub from them. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a win-win if, if people learn to embrace that suck a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does a typical training week look for you as someone who works full-time, but yeah. is also, I guess, coaching and you still try to prepare for competitions? Yeah. So I just train every day, bro. Uh, except for Sunday. Um, I, I finish work, um, in the early afternoon. Um, usually, usually get home, get my shit together and then go to the gym. Um, and usually my training is from about like six o'clock to about eight o'clock. So I'll get two hours in. Um, usually the first hour is kind of me giving instruction, um, and, and, you know, helping everybody else get better. And then I'm pretty much just jumping in on, on my own class really, and, and training with everybody, um, you know, practicing and, um, either doing positional rounds and sparring. Um, I've kind of started to pair back on sparring every night because, um, I kind of have to leave some for my own self, like my Wednesday and my Saturday, um, are, are dedicated like my own training. So I, I don't coach on a Wednesday and a Saturday at the moment those are the nights after train well saturday i don't work but um at midday i'll go and train um under one of my coaches um and just be the learner um and the same on a wednesday night but um yeah you know it's a lot to it's a lot to do in a week um i mean yeah teaching teaching is very mentally demanding it's not like a physically demanding job so the whole battle for me is about preserving as much of my mental energy to train, to coach and to go through skill acquisition, um, in each session. So yeah, it's always a very fine battle and you know, it's like really walking a bit of a razor's edge. Um, yeah. but I mean, I guess that's just part of the process. I, I certainly don't bemoan it. I mean, I've been teaching for as long as I've been training. Um, and I've been doing them side by side. Um, so I kind of just don't know another way to do it. Um, and then, yeah, in the lead up, in the lead up to competitions as well, I then, um, will find two nights a week where I can also do some weightlifting, um, some strength and conditioning things. Um, but yeah, you know, it's almost, it's, it's always that fine line between finding overtraining and, and things like that. Um, you know, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't use, use steroids or anything like that. I'm, I'm 31 and my, my body's in relatively good shape. Um, and yeah, um, I, I can't pride myself on, on being a natural athlete. So, I mean, I suppose things would be a whole lot easier if I was on TRT or, or <laughs> things like that, or doing, uh, doing train cycles, but, um, you know, I mean, for professionals these days, you, you, you pretty much have to be doing those things just to, just to make, make it work. Um, so I certainly, certainly don't judge anyone for doing that. If that's the choices they wanted to make, um, you know, being, being a full-time and professional athlete and anything has, has its demands and its sacrifices. And that's, that's pretty much just part of it these days, you know, um, I think if anybody thinks that jujitsu is the wild west, um, and it's solely jujitsu that has that problem, um, <laughs> they're being a bit naive. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, it's just, that's literally the life of any professional athlete now. Um, 
and you know for me recovery time is my sunday um you know i that's that's a no training day i i, I don't even teach privates on that day at all um and yeah i try actually just to, to just do some like active recovery stuff if anything but yeah, yeah. nice so, so does that mean you don't do strength conditioning training when you don't have a competition you only do extras when you have a, a competition upcoming oh uh, not strictly no nah. um i yeah i mean it depends if i feel like it feel like it or if i have the time honestly um you, you know i i certainly will try to maintain that as much as possible and do some like kind of baseline things throughout the week but um it can be pretty challenging you know um, yeah. especially with a full training load um, I, I certainly don't want to strain my central nervous system beyond the point where I'm not actually going to be improving at jujitsu. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the moment, like once a week, um, I might go in and, and get some pull-ups, you know, um, basic push pull, nothing near pers uh, like near PRs or anything like that. Um, yeah. just to kind of work certain, certain areas or certain muscle groups that I feel like, oh, okay, you know, that's not hurting right now. <laughs> like I can, <laughs> yeah. I can actually push this to a point of like near failure or I can, I can get this muscle group to, um, maybe fire at a, at a level where I can get some, some gains out of it, but it's really, yeah, it, it, it it's it's a game of inches at, at this stage, you know, it's not like I'm about to go in and lift and, and put in a ton of like, get a ton of gains out of it because I mean, I've been doing it for years. So it's all about just, you know, like you're kind of just, just turning dials and adjusting things and seeing what works out. Um, I used to push it way too hard and I'd like lift every, every day before training. Um, yeah. And then I was wondering why I was getting worse at jujitsu. <laughs> like, um, I mean, of course, you know, strength plays an element, um, but I've, I'm, I'm a full-time teacher. I lift two times a week and I, I certainly still don't feel outgunned strength wise by some of the best guys. So mm. I don't, I think there's something to be said for strength and conditioning, but like there's a lot of people who want to, double down on it rather than doing jujitsu. And it's like, if you want to get better at jujitsu, lifting weights, isn't always going to help you. Like sometimes the more optimal way to get better at jujitsu is to do more jujitsu. Um, so I, I always try to just make sure that I'm saving my bandwidth and my body's bandwidth to do that as much as possible and as optimally as possible. Nice. But yeah. Yeah. Did you know you can represent Sweet Science of Fighting while you're training with more than just a membership? We also have rash guards and shorts. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that we have the Sweet Science of Fighting 2.0 shorts. And we also have the Sweet Science of Fighting short and long sleeve rash guard. There is another design coming soon, but you can get those on xmarshall.com and you can go down in the description and you can find that. And back to the podcast, I'm with you on that too, in terms of, yeah, some people just like to double down and kind of, you know, hit the gym, get bigger, get stronger. And that's going to be mm. their saving grace. But I mean, as you mentioned, there's guys, there's guys that are just grappling strong <laughs> and you, and you yep. get on the mats with them. You're like, what the hell do you like? Haven't felt this before. And, and you know, they probably, they might not be stronger than you in the gym, but on the mats, you feel that pressure yeah. and, it's, and it's another level. A hundred percent, man. I mean, I'm certainly, I, I think I certainly fit into that camp, you know, like I've, I, I, I've gone and lifted with a few of my mates who, you know, their, their PB squat or their PB deadlift is way higher than where mine is right now. But like when, when I get my hands on them, I'm like going to melt them with, <laughs> with that isometric strength that you've built up from a decade of consistent training. Um, and I certainly don't want to put myself into a deficit where my, where the lifting means that I, um, I'm now either having to miss trainings or, or things like that, because cool. If my goal is just to be healthy and look good and things like that, then absolutely lifting has a huge place in that. And maybe doing less jujitsu is actually better if that's your goal. Yeah. But for me, I just want to get really good at the sport, man. So 
yeah, I, I'm just going to keep doing that. And if I can find some essence, essence in the, in, in between to, to help me out, then absolutely. Um, I'm gonna, but yeah, I, I try to make the jujitsu the first priority when it comes to getting better at jujitsu, who yeah. would have thought eh? <laughs> a yeah. groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was rolling with the, with the Tackett brothers the other last week. Oh, yeah. No, week before. And man, just like, even just that pressure from those guys, is like another level. It's like, fuck. Yeah. And yeah, as you mentioned, it's like, it might not be stronger, but on the mats, like, yeah, I was fucked. <laughs> I was yeah. fucked. I took yeah. a couple of rounds of that. Man. Yeah. I've, I've seen how they rolled. Um, I mean, I got, I was fortunate enough to watch them at the, um, at the open as well. I think Andrew Tackett did the one, the won the absolute as well in the, um, at the Vegas open and man, just the, yeah, those guys work ethic is crazy. Eh? Like, uh, yeah, it's awesome to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think How if I rolled see... like that, I'd have a heart attack though. Eh? Like I'm firmly, <laughs> I'm firmly a heavyweight. Eh? Like if I rolled like that, I'd fucking die. <laughs> Less dynamic. Like what do they call it? Like Panda Jiu Jitsu or something? Yeah. Yeah. Something oh, along yeah. those lines. Eh? Gorilla Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you see the, the future of professional Jiu Jitsu going? Because obviously now there's a little more prize money coming into it. ADCC is becoming a lot more popular. It's kind of almost seen as like, I used to say the pinnacle of jiu-jitsu now. Nogi's kind of taken over. Like even here in Austin, there's like, I've competed in, in a couple of super fights here. There's like super fights every damn weekend in mm. cards and it's and it's free, which is damn cool. So I don't mm. mind competing in those and not paying. But but yeah. where do you see, um, I guess, professional jiu-jitsu going in the future in terms of you know, prize money, professionalism? Will people start being able to train full time? Will there be funding for that kind of stuff? Yeah, man. I, I mean, it's an interesting one, right? Because there's so many dynamics to put into that, that it's like quite hard to, I mean, yeah, the crystal ball still seems a little bit murky on it, you know? Um, I mean, there's so many different federations and organizations and stuff now that I think the sport element of jujitsu is pretty much maxed out, right? Like we're at a terminal mass of competitions. Um, and one thing that I've kind of started to realize recently, especially since we've started putting on our own kind of promotion, the future cup at the gym, which is, um, we're not running another competition. It's a spectator spectacle, you know, like I'm just doing five super fights in a night. Um, so real dynamic, real, and we're, we're charging people on the door. So it's like entertainment, right? Um, versus going to a competition on a weekend and seeing brackets and all of that stuff. And, you know, multiple a guy doing multiple matches. It seems like the paths diverging a lot between those two. Um, I mean, I think that that's like the most, the, the most objective ob observation that I can really make about it. Um, I think that each has its own place, you know, like a lot of guys are still going to establish their name and, and actually get better at jujitsu by engaging with that sports side. So I think that that's probably always going to be there. I, um, I think we're well beyond, um, the reality that this would ever become a, um, Olympic sport. Now I just, I don't really, I don't see a pathway to that happening, you know, like, you know, our biggest biggest organizations, ADCC and IBJJF are both profit driven organizations. I think the first criteria for an Olympic sport is that it has to be like a nonprofit for a start, like a federation has to be a nonprofit. So I don't think we even, we, we don't even get past that. So I honestly, I think that that would hurt the sport more than anything anyway. So it's neither here nor there, but the way that the sport the sport elements established now whatever rule set we want to call it you know sjjf ibjjf cb whatever i think that there's so there's a there's a certain critical mass to that now and um there'll always be merit to winning that and i think that that it draws draws attention to people who are um, successful athletes and successful competitors um, and that might help them skyrocket to towards that more like kind of professional level where now they're getting onto things like a who's number one card or, um, you know, getting super fights at, um, at local competitions or local promotions. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, there certainly seems to be a larger capacity now for people to actually make money from jiu-jitsu, um, whether that's instructing, putting out instructionals, creating content. And um, I mean, that has its it has its positives and it has its negatives. I mean, I think there's um, there's a lot of bullshit out there um, for sure. Um, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, through all of that, there does seem to be those kind of guys who have found a strong niche, but are also putting out really sound um, technique. They're putting out sound advice for people. They're putting out great content. Um, and, you know, I think that that's the most awesome side to see, you know, even away from like um, professional competition or whatever, is that there's people who um, I can now create content that can also go full time, you know, because that adds another element to the sport as well. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at professional wrestling or you look at the UFC, there are there are um, fleets of people who make a living off of commenting off of the sport. Yeah. Um, there's, there's people who do analysis, there's people who do all of that. And I think that now that we're getting that second layer deep in jujitsu, <clears throat> I think that that's only positive for the growth of the sport because you need more people talking about it. We don't need more people doing it because that's kind of a vacuum. You know, you can have three, yeah. 3000 members at a gym. And if none of them are talking about it, it's not going to become something that's in the um, the popular um, kind of consciousness, you know? So we need people that can bridge that gap. We need people who can communicate. We need content creators. We need, um, we need people who can get on the mic um, at events and do commentary and, and things like that to actually translate this very niche sport to an audience of people who may not actually be deeply invested or they might be casual observers, you know, like if, if we think about like pro wrestling, man, that's, it's a fucking niche sport, but it's massive. How did they bridge that? They didn't bridge it by doing more of it. They bridged it by communicating it better, by packaging a product better and, and by making, making it digestible for the casual person to watch and be entertained by. I think jujitsu has the same capacity. And I think that something like an ADCC rule set is potentially the, the rule set that's helping that to happen the most yeah. um, at the moment. Um, I mean, every everything has its place. I mean, a while ago, it would have been EBI rules, I think helped to increase popularity a lot um, until we saw people bringing in sports element of trying to gamify like the rule set and things. Mm. EBI rules has a lot of capacity to be gamed, you know, like, okay, well, I'm going to just turn all the whole round. Yeah. Just wait fuck wants to watch that, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, now we've got combat jujitsu and, and, um, and, and seeing how popular that's getting. I think that honestly, that's a better move away than going back to like full EBI rules or submission only, because those are great if you do the sport. But how do we get, how do I get like my parents to sit down and watch a 45 minute sub only match? Jesus Christ. Like no one's going to want to watch that. Man. Yeah. Um, so I feel like making the product digestible for people has, is a huge part. You know, if I can, if I can put on five matches that are under 80 CC rule set, and I can say to an audience of people who've just come to support someone because they know them and they've paid 35 bucks at the door, I'm going to be like, this is an electrifying rule set. It's entertaining. The person on top is the one that's winning, you know, the submission finishes the fight, um, action. Like I want, I, you're going to see takedowns. You're going to see big moves. The, the audience is going to go, Oh, okay, cool. I get that. Yeah. I don't need to know like any technical terms or anything. I just need to know that this person like who is dominating, this is winning. So I feel like, you know, that's obviously making a big play for, um, the, the, the public consciousness, if you want to call it that and, and making the sport, um, the breakthrough. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. think about the UFC, like how many people watch the UFC that don't train any combat sports, you know? Exactly. And that's kind of like their big money maker. And it's mm. kind of, that's, it's hard for jiu-jitsu though, just because as you mentioned, yeah, it's like, it's harder to understand for the general person. And I guess it's, if someone's not into grappling, it's not, 
I guess you could say it's not that exciting for from someone from the outside looking at two dudes hugging each other for 10 yeah. minutes, you know, yeah. <laughs> and doing some weird things with, with legs. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, um, we've had things like Quintet and, um, and other invitationals on the UFC fight pass that have tried to bridge the gap. I don't know how popular they've been. Um, I, I don't know the numbers on what the engagement with those was like. I think it would have been very interesting to see um, what happened with ADCC trials and um, and the championship being televi televised on Fight Pass, but I guess we'll never know. Um, but, you know, th that between the flow grappling and the UFC Fight Pass deal, I think also kind of signifies a place and where the sport's going to go. You know, it, I, it certainly feels like um, flow grappling is certainly more like um, you're kind of going to be involved in the sport to buy a flow grappling pass, you know? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops, you know? Um, having been in Vegas for the actual um, ADCC championships, I mean, man, that place was packed. So from a spectator perspective, you know, even if we can get 10,000 jujitsu people into an arena, that's pretty fucking cool. Like, yeah. I think there are, an, there are enough people that practice that have skin in the game that will want to actually come and, and watch and make this thing a spectator sport. I certainly don't think it's impossible, but if we want this sport to actually skyrocket and be the next football, um, we need to find a way to bridge that for casuals. Yeah. Or like people who just don't track. Yeah, no, exactly. No, this has been a, a great chat, Jared. Um, if people want to find you and follow you and see, you know, what you're doing and follow you for your next competition, where can they do that? Yeah. So, um, best place to do that is probably on Instagram, um, at articulate BJJ. Um, I've got a YouTube page, um, and everything's by the same name. So everything's, um, articulate BJJ. Um, I've got some podcast episodes on Spotify and things where I, I discuss some of the things that we've talked about today, but also some other kind of like conceptual things. Um, but yeah, Facebook, Instagram, um, usually the go-to there. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much where people could find me. Perfect. And I'll link all those up in the description too, when this gets published, uh, soon, but cool. thanks for coming on, Jared. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome, bro. Thanks so much for having me, man. Great chat.